All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast. Uh, we've got a, a really good episode in store for you today. We had an awesome guest, Todd Klein, our pal from uh, Southern California. Um, Todd's got great stories as always, some really good learning lessons. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple other topics that we'll cover first. But as always, we got to say hey to the guys. And we're going to start with uh, the Yeti, Nick. Nick is wearing all white in a white background. Um even his smile is white. So what's going on with you, dude? I'm beaming down from the Celestial Kingdom. Uh, Nick actually is no longer with us here. He's coming from the spiritual realm. You're pretty stoic, bro. I was trying to make you break and laugh just now as you did the intro. And uh, short of like mooning you or something, you're you're unbreakable, bro. So You got to be actually you. funny, dude. Mm, <laughs> which you Damn, are a lot you're dropping bombs already man i'm, I'm just gonna go cry now on my daughter's bed here behind me since uh you, you ruined my self-esteem but uh yeah it's been four score and seven days since we last spoke i don't even know what ridiculous thing has happened in my life that i can self-deprecate on um but uh well you know it's been a busy season in the um, residential landlording aspect of my life. I know I sent you guys some pictures and I posted them on my uh, socials, but uh, I think I maybe have had the worst um, scenario of filth that I've seen in, in the 25 minutes that I've been doing this now. But uh, what did you guys think about some of those pictures? Please tell crazy. people where to go look at this on Instagram and Facebook, dude, because this is unfathomable. It really is. And that was only three or four pictures of like an ocean of just nastiness. I think my Instagram handle is the official Nick McMurray because there was a lot of people who spell their name just like me. Just kidding. There's no one. It's the real <laughs> Nick McMurray. You can find it there. And then my Facebook, I think, is private. But whatever. Anyways, you'll find it. And uh, unbelievable. So technically speaking, I, I didn't place those tenants. I inherited them. We inherited them. And uh, there was just this little forgotten house that came along um, with a pack of trailers in a mobile home park. And uh, so, like always, they say, oh, yeah, that guy's been paying $350 a month in rent for, you know, 100 years and everything's fine. And then you take over the property and you realize that he's never paid rent ever. And uh, he's he he would be homeless except for he lives inside that home. He was living in there with all that stuff forever. But Ugh. it turns out that he was essentially just like a. Sadly, it seems like he must have just been a roaming alcoholic, you know, tweaker. But uh, it was it was like biblical proportions of filth and trash, uh, bottles of urine, feces, like everywhere, <laughs> like just um, like unbelievable. Everything Were you actually there? Now nah, this one's in Illinois, so I outsourced it to a. <laughs> I found a local contractor there who's Thank just God. he's awesome. Like he and I are already homies and able to laugh. But dude, like full hazmat suits. Even he in the junk removal business. Which can you imagine being in the junk removal business? What you see on a daily basis. Even he agreed that it was like top three or five worst Ooh. in his career. It was it was so <laughs> bad. But it was hilarious because it's like no one once we finally got we've had this for like three or four months now and we couldn't get this guy to leave. And finally, like, I guess the wind blew him away and he was finally out. And uh, we had a chance to just taste and smell what the rock had been cooking in there. And uh, so we 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 get these mountains of bush light beer cans and human excrement out of there. 
And I send my handyman in over from Missouri to like take assessment and start getting this thing cleaned up so we can rent it. And we found that outlet. I don't know how that house didn't burn down. That outlet is crazy. That thing was like one tenth of a degree away from fire. I don't understand. He's got an electrical outlet in this picture, guys, an electrical outlet that is just black (laughs) from top to bottom. With like an orange lick of flame going out of the holes of the outlet up the plate. (laughs) I don't even know. Like, I just don't even know. So I've been saying thank you to God even more than I tried to already for the last week and a half since that happened, because, oh, my goodness, man, what a what a that didn't burn, dude. Yeah, I know. I wonder how much insurance we had on that, if it was enough to cover whatever our our exposure was on that. But so we we actually I got a good guy over there. He's turned it around. It's already looking a million percent better. We bought five gallons of disinfectant and just like disinfected and disinfected some more. So that's been the most exciting thing. I, uh, like always, I'm the, the lead anchor here that never fishes. I've got some exciting spring break plans coming up. I'm actually going to go down to Mexico with my family to where my wife is from and then hop over and hopefully ride, uh, some Todd Klein waves in the Pacific ocean and try and do a little bit of fishing in Siwatanejo. So hopefully I can have a non-bass fishing story for us the next time we podcast. Are you chasing rooster fish again? Let's go, man. Roosters. Right it's the only one. I, I've decided that with the four days a year that I fish, I'm going to allocate two to rooster fishing and two to bass fishing in uh, West Central Mexico. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I've already, I'm booking out to 2030. Yeah. Good thing your boat's <laughs> carpeted. Yeah, I know, man. It's so comfortable when I fight with my wife and I go sleep out there under the cover of nice. it. I'm like this padded deck. I'm glad I paid extra for the bass cat carpet or whatever he upsold me on. Dude, That's I punted, good. I punted the pontoon boat too the other day. And uh the guy who bought it from me uh has this little business where he takes them. So apparently all the residential lakes around here make sense. They have um size restrictions on how big of a pontoon. And that one was a 20 footer. And apparently it's really common that there are 21 foot um maximum limits. So it was a desirable little boat. And so he's going to take the outboard off and put like a, whatever the electric Minkota outboard is that they sell and like totally pimp it out and then sell it to the people that live on those. So I thought that was kind of a nice. cool, like, you know, allocation to it because everything's roached on it. It's been living outside neglected, like everything in my personal life is neglected. And it's uh, going to go live on one of those blue Gatorade lakes, man, where the water totally just looks is. like Gatorade. <laughs> he goes, he goes, people buy these because you can't get a DUI driving a boat on those lakes. And they're like, well, that's TMI. <laughs> no. If you're ever floating around out there and you see a red pontoon boat going three miles an hour, <laughs> swim the other direction. No kidding. They're drunk. <laughs> You'll have plenty the of water looks like the, the water in a J. John. <laughs> it does, dude. The problem Probably is fishing better in that than it is our regular lakes right now. <laughs> I've heard it's kidding. been pretty miserable. I don't have any firsthand experience, but I'd like to hear our resident lead lead guide, Rob Vanderkoy, weigh in on that. Yeah, we're I mean, it's it's pretty tough right now, but we're literally it's gotta be amazing soon, right? Soon, yes. Yes. It's yeah, I think it'll break here pretty soon. As soon as it warms up a little bit, um, we're like 20 degrees every day below normal temps. And I think by the end of next week it's gonna be up a little bit. So I don't know. It's just typical of this time of year and definitely typical of a really harsh winter. It's the fishing is, you know, that's what we expected. So 
It's got to be the worst, though, that I've seen as far. And and it's in a good way. Like it's but it's the wettest, coldest winter. Really tough. I mean, basically, January through now has been dreadful as far as the fishing. But it's a good thing for the long term, but probably the toughest I've seen. Yeah, I think it's like like in the 90s, it seemed like this happened all the time. Our winters were like this. And um, but would you still catch them? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I was in a different stage in my life where I just, it's all I did was fish, right? Like, I mean, not that I don't now, but I mean, I don't know. You just fish till you caught them then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it was just different. Stay till dark, right? Yeah. It was <laughs> no. just different. But uh, no, I mean, it was when the water comes up that drastic. Yes, it was extremely tough. Um, when it settles down a little bit is a different story. Like things, soon as it starts warming up and the water starts coming in a little slower it's um it's can be some of the best fishing you've ever had so i thought I'm of hoping you, Rob. it does that sorry that? i didn't cut you off i thought of you though i saw that uh san carlos has a whole bunch of water in it again Ooh, and yes. it made me think of you circa 1994 yeah. um throwing down out there the best lake in the state at one time by far is yeah. there any chance that that happens again you think I mean, the water would have to be in there for a while. I think it, I think that lake is extremely fertile. If that water stayed in there for four years, I think it would again be the best lake in the state. I really do. Be cool. Hopefully. Yeah. And I think they have their own issues with like the dam. Yeah. There's dating. a whole bunch of drama that no one cares about, but if water stays right. in there for four years, that'd be, that would be yeah. pretty special. To have I just have a hard time, time believing that'll happen. Yeah. So it hasn't yeah. in the last 15 years. So. But we haven't had water like this, right? I mean, isn't this a seasonally exceptional snowpack that we're having? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely been. When did Roosevelt fill up? 10 years ago? I think it's like 07, 08, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah there's I mean... been about two or three times. I think this is probably the, the actually the fourth time that it's gone down and come back up in the last 15 years, right? Yeah. Really? It's not that many times in the last 15 years. Yeah. But Roosevelt, okay. I, I don't, I'm just talking like with zero actual knowledge, but it That's seems how I like, live my life. It seems like Roosevelt has stayed up more okay. in the last few years. Um, one, we've had a decent monsoon, but even when we had a bad monsoon, it stayed up higher than I anticipated it staying up. But I think they're, I think the reasoning behind that is the, uh, and I could be completely wrong. Maybe someone at SRP knows better and can fill us in, but I feel like they're running water through the Verde system more. Okay. Um, just because they're sitting on the salt water. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it. Yeah. But I could be completely wrong. So, I mean, the Verde has very little storage, so they get it to where it's close to full and then just start running it right through there. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we use a lot less electricity collectively as the fifth largest city (laughs) in the United States. Absolutely no chance. No chance. (laughs) No kidding, dude. We've all decided to consume less. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, I'm, I know I sound like a broken wheel with the fish in here right now, but, and as a guide, do you think I'd tell everyone it was great, but (laughs) right around the corner, it's going to be great. Let's put it that way. It'll, it'll get there for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope it does uh, for your sake, because you've been having to deal with it uh, more than most over the last couple of months, taking people out and uh, yeah. just your sparkling personality is all that really gets you through the day, man, on this trip. Poor so. people. Delicious lunches <laughs> and just, man, bubbling personality. <laughs> so let's take, let's hear how Redbeard is preparing for Red Crest. Yeah. Ooh. So 
Yeah, um, since we talked, I fished my first tournament down in Florida. Uh, disappointing week for me. I missed the cut by a pound, and I only had four fish on the second day. So uh, always sucks to weigh in less than a limit and be close to whatever it is you're trying to do. But in that case, at least just advance to the next round. I picked the wrong lake. I fished Toho the whole time, um, thinking it was the best decision in the beginning. Ultimately, the entire top 10 fish Kissimmee. So uh, massive uh, strategical error on my part. I did get <laughs> lucky and catch one big one at the end of the second day to at least salvage my heavy hitters and salvage my points for the tournament. But yeah, give go the, ahead, Rob. Give the listeners an idea of that strategy. I've actually fished a tournament on Toho too. So I have a a little bit of an idea, but just the the logistics of it and, and what, what you're up against with that choice of where you fish there sure i mean so that's a, a it, it's a rare instance of fishing a chain of lakes where you can you're allowed to fish anywhere on the chain that you can get to by boat um obviously you have to keep in mind how long it takes to get to that lake what that lake has to offer um and, and it's cool because it provides a lot of opportunity but um it's also scary because if if one lake is lake one of the lakes is popping off and you're not in that lake, you're screwed. Um, and in this case, it's the Kissimmee chain. So it's just south of Orlando. It's Toho, Cypress, Hatchinaha, and Kissimmee. Those are the lakes. Uh, Toho and Kissimmee are the two big ones. The two lakes in between um, are smaller. They've got bass in them. They're good, but really Toho and Kissimmee are the two that the bulk of the field will fish at. Um Leading up to the tournament, you know, I've spent more time in my in the past in Toho. Kissimmee's a better lake. I mean, the Kissimmee has got more big fish, but um, I was nervous about Kissimmee because the lake does not have much hydrilla, and they had that couple hurricanes rip through there in the fall. And you know, I thought without the hydrilla to protect the grass that is near the shoreline on Kissimmee, Kissimmee probably got torn up. Toho is chock full of hydrilla out deep in the lake. And that's just a filter, you know, that, that uh, hydrilla really protects everything, keeps the water clear. Um, and then we had a big wind and cold front hitting the last day of practice. So I thought, you know, my, in my head, if I can find some of those fish in that deep hydrilla, they will be less prone to be affected by this nasty wind and cold going into the tournament. So I thought it was the safest bet to fish Toho. Um, I get out on Toho. The first day of practice is pretty good. End up catching a couple, uh, finding a couple shell beds early in the morning that had fish on them, maybe a shad spawn going on there. And then uh, I find one really good stretch of hydrilla where I catch a couple big ones. Um, but overall, there's less hydrilla than I had hoped. Um, it's not everywhere on the lake. There's a lot of sections of the lake that had had it. Um, and it had been either just died or, or or like maybe sprayed or wiped out by the hurricane. So there was less hydrilla than I wanted. Found one good area. Next day, the wind blows legit 30, 35 all day and flips both lakes upside down. Um, I never thought in a million years that an offshore place could get blown out, but it blew out my offshore stuff in Toho. So, um, I mean, it literally turned it from a good three foot visibility to six inches. And we're talking about a spot that's a, a mile offshore, literally just churned the bottom of the lake and just flipped the lake upside down. It was like sticking a big giant whisk in the lake and stirring it all up, like whisking your scrambled eggs. 
So, and that's a, it happened to everybody, not just me, right? But what ended up being the uh, dominant deal was basically guys fishing on Kissimmee and stuff that had been protected. Um, that was what ended up, you know, and I'm talking, there wasn't much. It blew out 75% of Kissimmee too. But um, what's funny, what, what really happened in the grand scheme of things, which I didn't expect to happen, was, you know, I talked about how Kissimmee was I thought maybe going to be jacked up from the hurricane. Well, they got so much water and the water was so high that they ended up flushing a ton of water down through the chain. Well, guess where all that clear water from Toho went? <laughs> through oh. Kissimmee. So I'm talking to guys after the tournament. They're like, Kissimmee's never looked better in all the, I've been here 15 times. Kissimmee's never looked better because yeah, duh, they took all the clear water. They flushed the toilet. By the hydrilla. So now you got this beautiful clear water and, and current running through Kissimmee and it fished amazing. The top 10 were down there. So uh, I scratched and clawed to miss the uh, cut by a pound. But so, anyways, go ahead. So does the top 10 um, make that adjustment? Like obviously not every single person, but did the top 10 see that and then start fishing Kissimmee once they realized that the toilet flush had made it better or were they just, you know, right place, right time. I think most of them just knew better, dude, and started down okay. there because uh, I would so say in practice, if I had weather, yeah. it's just a better lake in general. So maybe yeah. some of them knew that the water was doing that. Maybe some of them got down there in pre-practice, which I didn't get to do. I don't know how they all ended yeah. up down there, but I would say 60% of the field practiced down there, 20% of, or uh, uh, 60 40. out of the 80 practiced okay. down there. 20 out of the 80 probably practiced and, and lived up on Toho. And it was uh, just sucks. You're out there on the second day. And I actually had even gone down to Kissimmee after catching an early limit on Toho the first day because I knew, hey, I'm not going to survive up here on Toho. And I went down and ran around and just got swallowed up by Kissimmee. Um, the second half of that first morning in the tournament, never found anything. So I was forced to stay on Toho the second day. But, you know, you're up there on the second day. And every single boat that you see throughout the course of the day, none of them are in the cut. And it's just like <laughs> the circle of losers up on this lake, you know, and uh, you're like, oh, there's another boat. I want you're hoping for just some hope like, hey, that that dude's in sixth place and he's in Toho. But no, he's in 36 out of 40. It was like that with everybody. So. Uh, so how far is the run from Toho? Because you launch in Toho. Um, how far is the run to Kissimmee? It, you know, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour okay. because you're locking. There's a lock that mm. you have to go through. The lock's real quick and easy. I mean, it takes maybe 10 minutes to get through, but um, you you run through, you go through the lock, you run through Toho, go through a lock, run through a canal, go through Cyprus, go through uh, another canal, go through Hatchinaha, go through another canal, and you're in Kissimmee. And Kissimmee's so, a big lake. So your strategy is different than a regular tournament, though, because you guys can fish till the end of that Yes. You don't have to run all the way back still, right? It's so it just huge for making ends. a long run. Yeah, because if yes. you're fishing Kissimmee, you're leaving, oh. you know, in a big tournament, you're having to leave with an hour and a half left to go. Whereas this case, you get down there, man, and you can fish till four o'clock when they say lines out. So it's it's actually a huge benefit um, having that that timer like Scenario. that, not having to get back uh -huh. to weigh in. To actually, if you want to make a run, it really allows you to do so. Yep. Cool. Yeah, it makes you wonder if guys have strategies like that. They're just like, screw it. I'm going to run as far as I can just because of that. I to mean, get fresh water or find something whatever or I mean, whatever. Uh -huh. I just remember John Murray used to always talk when he would, lived out west here and he'd go back east. He goes, my strategy is either I fish 10, you know, 10 feet from the boat ramp 
or as far <laughs> as you can possibly run. Yeah, right. On. That's cool. <laughs> Whatever. I love I the mean, simplicity of that, dude. But I yeah. can see it working sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, uh, anyways, yeah, that was uh, that was cool. But um, yeah, we're headed uh, to Redcrest now, so I'm stoked for that. It's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a big it's our biggest event of the year, the championship. That's over at Lake Norman. It'll be a total 180 um, from the fishing down in Florida. Um, so yeah, if you guys are in the North Carolina area, make sure you check that out. Come to the expo. A lot of the pros will be there. Hopefully not me because that would mean I missed the cut, but, um, hopefully you'll see a lot of other pros other than me, but there's a lot of cool stuff at the free expo and, um, it should be awesome. Um, I did want to, uh, we got to get into Todd here. We're running a little late on time. We everything good. Yeah, I just tried to knock over all of my son's precious Legos there. I was going to raise my hand with a fast question, but continue what you're doing. That would be, yeah, that would be rough. But um, I, I had to bring up one clip that was on um, in this tournament we were watching yesterday in the uh, MLF Invitational, just because it was such a learning lesson um, th that anyone could take from this. But um, these guys are fishing over at Clark's Hill. And Dakota Ebear, he fishes the Bass Pro Tour, one of the one of the top guys in the country, one of the hottest fishermen in the country right now. He is, he looks at a brush pile on his live scope. Okay. He's fishing, it looks like he's maybe even fishing some docks, but he sees a brush pile and sees a big fish on the brush pile. I don't know how deep he is, but he sees it on his live scope. And he even makes the comment, gosh, guys, that's a giant. And he's got a shaky head on a bait caster. He casts his shaky head over there and goes, oh, my God, he's going to eat it. He's going to eat it. And the fish eats it, and he breaks it off on the hook set. And he's distraught because he thought he should have retied earlier. He forgot. Lesson number one, obviously, and even, even goes to show everyone makes mistakes like that. Like, he's not making a lot of mistakes lately. That was a mistake. Um, but he's like, oh, that was a big one. That was a big one. And I, I think probably half the people are watching believe him, and half are like, how does he know it was that big, you know, just from seeing a live scope, right? Uh, so he sits down, reties, and he's bummed, man. He knew that was the bite that he needed uh, to stay in the lead. He gets back up, and instead of just moving on, he shines his live scope back at the pile and goes, oh, my gosh, guys, he's right back where he was. And he throws the shaky head back at it. The fish goes down on it again and eats it again. Eight, four. Puts it Jeez. in the boat. And uh, just very, it was such a good lesson to throw back when you miss or lose a fish. Like that's a one in a hundred instance, but dude, if that happens one in a hundred times, like, heck yeah. I, I just thought it was a really neat lesson because I think most people never would have even looked at that brush pile again or thrown back at it. Do you yeah. guys agree? I totally agree. My favorite part of the video though, is when he set the hook, it looked like he hooked into a grouper. Like, <laughs> seriously. I mean, He's that, on his tippy toes. Crazy, dude. dude, it was a that fish was dogging him. It was unbelievable. It was. And I think he's like strategy with the fact that you break it off. You know, ideally you use like a one ounce or heavier bait when you break them off the first time because it makes them heavier when you catch it the second <laughs> oh time, gosh, right? So dude. it's like there's so much strategy <laughs> that goes into breaking off a fish and then catching it again. Dude, he's they no wonder he's the top, you know, top two. Is there a chance genius. it was a different fish i mean the fish well, was I didn't the hook see still him. in its mouth yeah i didn't see him take another hook now out. yeah the hook was not in the mouth. It. there is a chance dude what are they, I, it's it's possible it sure is possible but 
I think whatever it, pro- it probably was the same one, dude. Yeah, if it's it was a way on a cooler story, like that. yeah, one. it's all those scenarios are possible except Nick's. What a wild take, dude! I can't believe your brain what? worked that way. How is that? No, dude. See, always thinking, bro. I was trying to get that. <laughs> that's what makes me an elite in my field. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's I'm true. just always thinking of those little adjustments I could make to just be that much better. Yeah, good call, dude. Good call. Yeah, I hope you use that on your uh, next fishing trip in a few. One months, of the dude. best. I yeah, well, it's like nine months out, but yeah. I scheduled it. One of the best real estate signs I ever saw was this guy. And you could tell he could laugh at himself. He's wearing like total douchey realtor clothes with like a tie and like his white shirt. And he's, you know, he's all ready to go. And then he's holding a pitchfork and he's standing like in an alfalfa field. And it says Tom Jones Realty outstanding in his field. There you go. In this field. That's great. And, and see, that's what ever since then. I was like, that's Clever. the bar I need to measure myself. I need to be <laughs> outstanding in my field. And uh, that's that's when you think about like, you know, feeding line and letting them swallow a three ounce piece of lead and then snapping them off and then casting back in there. Those three ounces make all the difference. That's real skill right there, man. <laughs> well, with that one, um, we've got to get my uh, daughter over to a doctor's appointment. But uh, I think you guys will really enjoy Todd's interview. Todd is... Uh, Great guy, well-spoken. Uh, we always enjoyed chatting with him and a uh, great fisherman. So a lot, lot to learn from his interview and uh, anything else from you guys uh, before we send it over? No, I'm just I'm just anxious to see what Todd does here in the near future. I mean, he's been on a roll and uh, looks like he's a guy to definitely contend with out west. So He's not slowing down uh, nope. at, at all moving forward. So He is outstanding cool. in his field. He is outstanding outstanding. in this field, yes. (laughs) All right, with that, guys, uh, here's Todd Klein. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, Todd, we talked about you in the intro, but uh, for anyone that doesn't know Todd, Todd is an ex- He's a former pro surfer turned professional bass fisherman. He's a full-time guide in Southern California. um, And, you know, one of the top, tournament anglers not only in the west but uh just a, a fantastic tournament angler all the way around he's had some uh, some success all across the country and uh, he's a great friend of ours you've probably heard him on the show a couple times in the past um his uh, famous stories about uh timmy his co-angler timmy back in the day um and you know i'm hoping we've got another timmy story or two in the in the pocket for today but anyways um todd what's going on with you man what uh, what are you up to on this cold california morning uh, just, just getting rolling here this morning, actually, uh, heading out to a, a West coast show today called the, uh, Pacific coast sport fishing show. Um, only about a half hour from my house. So that'll be fun. You know, catching up with some friends and talking shop and, uh, yeah, just getting things rolling, man. Thanks for having me on guys. And, um, excited to talk story here this morning. Cool, man. Yeah. So it's, it might be a good day for that, right? Like when you get cold weather like this, that's gotta be a good, no one's going to be outside. Right. So do you think people will come to the show more today uh you know i don't know how the weekdays are um i think you'll probably have your well it's consumer facing so you know whoever whoever can cut out from work are uh, gonna miss their zoom zoom meetings today but um you know I, I expect big numbers on the weekend for sure um and i think you know even even uh, today and tomorrow should be pretty good just because we're coming off you know a lot of those shows being shut down for you know so long with covid and everything uh, i think you know people will be excited and and also to your point regarding the weather, you know, fishing pretty tough right now. It's uh, kind of kicked things back because we've had just back to back to back, you know, really cold storms. You know, sometimes the fishing can be good when these these fronts are coming through. But being that it's so late in the winter and even early spring, 
uh, I think that the bass are just as confused as the anglers right now. We we know all too well. Same deal here, man. Uh, and and we're gonna get into a bunch of other stuff, but just while we're on that topic right now, what is the situation with the Southern California lakes, like water level wise? And um, I want to hear about some of the fishing you had before all this water hit, because I know you had a couple pretty epic days um, before this rain. But like, what are the lake levels looking like right now over your way? Uh, you know, the good part is, you know, most of them are up. Um, our lakes locally here. Unfortunately, the majority of our water, you know, comes through the California aqueduct from Colorado River, Northern California lakes, et cetera. But we do, you know, some of them do have some good feeder creeks um, and you're seeing a substantial increase in those lakes that have those feeder creeks. Um, some of them are still down though. Um, you know, places like Diamond Valley that don't get a lot of local water. It's purely, you know, from the aqueduct. Uh, it's still down significantly. Really? Interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, I foresee here in the very near future you know they'll start to bring it up quite a bit and then you know they'll they'll for the most part probably keep it high um you know without getting sidetracked i'm sure you know just like anything when there's when there's an abundance of something the price goes down so i'm sure the water prices will go way down and so these reservoirs that aren't filled already will fill because the ones to the north are going to have to you know let water out before they cap you know if they haven't already done so um but yeah, prior uh, prior to these storms coming through, and I still think you can go out there and pick away at them. But um, again, the ones that have those feeder creeks are a little bit off color. Water temps are way down. It's like uh, very you know low fifties, right around that fifty one degree mark uh, for the most part in these reservoirs. Um, fishing prior though, a couple weeks ago, I had my my best uh, probably the best day of fishing I've had for about a two hour span. Um, I was down in San Diego on one of the lakes and I had a feeling as we had a storm approaching, we'd had a, you know, kind of a consistent warming trend and another one of these, these lows coming. So I, you know, I just kind of felt like that barometric pressure dropping, um, knowing it was going to be a Monday, nobody out on the water, no, no pressure from the, from the anglers, you know, they were going to chew. And so I arranged things to where my wife took my son to school that day. And I went down there. I was the first guy in line, nobody around. Cause it actually rained until just before sunrise. So it deterred a lot of people from going and uh, I launched, ran to my spot and there was literally just shad jumping in the air. And speaking of jumping in the air, there's Comet. Good morning. I love it. Um, And uh, so, so shad jumping in the air and I'm catching them on the little, little cool baits under spin, uh, catching them on some jerk baits, even catching them on like a a bigger uh, DRT swim bait. And there was so much consistency on the surface. I'm like, yeah, I know it's February, but I'm pulling a topwater out. And I went from catching, you know, two and a half to occasional three pounders to all of a sudden, you know, catching solid threes consistently on the topwater. And I was like, wow, how awesome. What was the water temp? Uh, it was, again, probably 50, 52, 53. Whew. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, that's the first time, the earliest in Southern California that I've caught topwater fish. And, and no doubt the, the first time in that element as far as the water being that cold catching crazy, top water fish. Dude. So I, I was stoked, you know, and already it's been a fun morning. And, you know, I start to pan with my, uh, my forward imaging at, you know, I have, I have active target and I'm looking around and all of a sudden I'm like, huh, hold on a minute. What, what is that? And I see a couple of different contours that were intriguing. And as you look next to that contour, all of a sudden, I mean, there's just giants sitting in there and I'm like, wow, is that bass? So I kind of put down what everything that I was using, pick something up else out of the out of the locker, 
fire out there and uh, slow retrieving it across the bottom and just slack knocking the line. And I just swing into it and it's a solid one. You know, first, first fish is probably like a five. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Slowly but surely, I just made some, some adjustments as far as how I was retrieving it and getting the perfect angle to line up on it. And it got to the point, Josh, where it was like every cast, and I'm not exaggerating, every cast, something was happening. They might, I might not have been hooking them, but they were, they were bumping it. They were knocking it. They were just, they were crazy. And I got to the point where I, you know, I, I wouldn't react and I'd wait until it started to load and then hit them and it would be choked. And, um, long story short, I ended up catching, I don't know how many fish, you know, including what I started with in the morning. But once I figured out that deeper deal, uh, I had 36 and a half pounds and I was throwing back like five and a half, like they were twos. And That's crazy. Yeah. And it was highlighted by a 10, which when I set the hook on that thing, I was, I, I didn't know what I had at first. And then I knew what I had and I was like, holy smokes. And, uh, put that thing in the live well, <clears throat> snapped off a couple shots and, um, you know, released all those fish, but man, that was, uh, that was one you'll take to the grave. Super special day. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things now that in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, what if, what if you had, maybe you have Josh, maybe this is what you had going on during the U S open. But if you, if you have a spot where, you know, if you can get to it, it's game over, you know, and that's, that's what that was that morning. It was like, if you had a derby the next day and you knew you could get there before anyone else, it would be yeah. light years from what second place would be, you know? It's a pretty rare deal, obviously, man. Now, did you actually end up getting back out there again before the weather got crazy or or no? No, I haven't. I actually haven't been back since. I was because we had the uh, mm. one bass AZ open, you know, probably five, six days after. And I've just had a bunch of stuff going on around here. Um, my I almost went two days ago, but I just, I still had some stuff going on. I just, I don't know, who knows, you know, it's just that gut feeling. I was like, eh, and it was raining for sure. Going to be pouring and cold. And I was like, eh, so I, I, I haven't been down there since, but um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty special. And, and, you know, one of those days that I just, I'll never forget, you know, you have, you have days where it's memorable, but for me to get that caliber of fish, every time you set the hook was like, holy smokes, you know? That's pretty, that, that's pretty awesome. And one of the crazy things about fishing Southern California, and I want to ask you a little bit about this is like, so you have the p potential for an epic day because there are some great fish down there. Um, you know, you, you guide all year round and you put clients on great fish, but um, it's not just as easy as, as hopping in your truck and going to the lake and, and fishing. Like, I mean, you have to, you fight traffic to get to the lake. You have hours on the lake. Gas is crazy expensive over there, man. Can you talk about just like some of the challenges that you face as like a Southern California angler that a lot of folks don't like? I know even in your case, you have to pick up your boat out of a storage unit to get there. So, dude, it's a <laughs> marathon of a day for you to go bass fishing, dude. Man, you just made me want to quit fishing with all that stuff you laid It's out. horrible, dude. I don't know how you do I try it. Not, I try not to see it. <laughs> yeah no kidding it's that california weather has you blinded yeah it's um it's it's not that bad you know it's uh i grew up in florida um and in florida you can go fishing 365 you know 24 7 and um you know that's how fishing should be but and that's why you know i didn't realize 
when I moved to California back in the day for surfing that I even could bass fish. It's a desert. Uh, it was pre-internet. Um, and you just didn't even know if there was lakes slash reservoirs to go fishing. So, um, you know, there's definitely challenges, but all the reservoirs, I live by the beach. So all the reservoirs for me are about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, you know, without traffic. And, um, it is what it is. And, and, uh, you know, I love my tundra. It's, uh, you know, I don't mind being in it. It's relaxing. It's comfortable. Um, California, unfortunately does charge a premium for gas, but again, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, they give us a little bit better tax write-off out here because we're already paying so many taxes. But um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's cool because you know it doesn't pigeonhole me to to say one spot that might be right around the corner from the house. That's they're all true. they're yeah. all an hour they're all an hour and fifteen. So uh, I just try and stay on the best bite you know that's possible for you know myself as well as my clients, and uh, that's how I usually operate. As far as you know, I'll, I'll confirm a date with my clients and then. Um, you know, a day prior, I'll call, I'll call Timmy and say, Hey, Timmy, it's, uh, you know, it, it's looking like, you know, Lake X is fishing best. Uh, I recommend that's where we go. And Timmy says, Hey, let's go. So that's how we usually do it. Once in a while, I'll get a guy that says, Hey, I just, I need to learn diamond Valley. I'd love to catch fish, but you know, that's just a bonus. I need to, you, you know, I need to learn the alpha spots out there. Can we go there please? And then, and then we approach it that way. Um, generally in the morning, uh, we don't have much traffic, you know, especially when I'm going, and, uh, and then, you know, depending on what time, if it's a full day, yeah, I'm going to get some traffic, but if it's, if it's a half day, it's not too bad. That's a good point. You're there, you're driving before the traffic and you're coming home in the middle of the day. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too bad. What's the, what's the pressure on the lakes during the week? Like is during it- the week is, is mellow, especially this yeah. time of year. Um, it gets, it gets pretty hectic in the summertime, especially some of the lakes they offer, you know, uh, what they call body contact. And so, um, you know, you get a lot of wakeboarders. I saw you smile there when I said body contact. You like that, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's just a crazy way to sound. You can you're, just you were wanting to right? come out to my lakes, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a crazy way to just say that you can touch the water, right? Right. Yeah. Anyways. Um, <laughs> So they they do wakeboarding, they do all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, once that all gets going, once in a while it can be beneficial because you get the mud lines and stuff that you can fish. But generally it's like, you know, uh, when somebody shows up with their, you know, $200 wake boat and they've got, you know, their, their radio as loud as it would go and you could hear it even at home and you're out there with a client at seven in the morning trying to, trying to enjoy the elements. Oh, you're man. like, dude, really? You know, it's like having a pee in section in the pool. Unfortunately, it still bothers you. <laughs> that's a good one dude. yeah i mean we we can relate because it's it, it phoenix is is similar man as far as just the the lake situation there's a decent amount of lakes but there are a lot more people than there is water right and uh, there's a lot of peeing in the lake to use your is. analogy <laughs> there, there a lot is. of urine i'll leave it at that i'll <laughs> leave it at that yeah. but that's cool man we uh we definitely get that um let's roll it over to like the last the last month of tournament fishing that you've had. Um, and then we'll talk specifically about the last tournament that you fished. And then we'll talk about some more g- general stuff, but uh, you just came off of a big win, man. Uh, Lake Havasu Toyota series um, kind of, you know, some of the biggest stuff there is to fish out West. And uh, you know, I know you've really, really put your time in at Havasu and you've become a real force there, man. Like every year, especially when fishing's tough, you are have been one of the guys to to contend with and deal with, but this is the first time you've come out 
on top in first place, man. Uh, how did that feel? Can you tell us about the tournament a little bit? Yeah, that was, uh, that was awesome, Josh, too. Uh, I mean, you know, the f- my dog is freaking out. <laughs> Settle down, dude. Hey, we're used to it. It's all good. is tweaking um so yeah no i i i I do put a lot of time in out there josh uh i love i love that lake i love the diversity of it um you know you've got the two you've got the river you can run up you've got down to the south down at bill williams and then kind of everything in between plus all that man-made habitat just just really you know makes it diverse um not to mention you got the small mouth and the large mouth that especially early in the year both play. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'm just intrigued by that fishery. Um, I have put a lot of time in out there and do feel that I'm starting to, you know, have a pretty good understanding of it, but just like fishing as a whole or any, any body of water, you're always going to continue to learn. And every time I'm out there, you know, it's just more and more knowledge that you're gaining. And it's really cool just to, to continue to, to grow as an angler. Um, so this this year I went out there with the mindset, you know, to to chase the the smallmouth slash brown ones. That's generally what I feel most confident with that early in the year. Um, once things start to warm up and the the largemouth start to move up and start to get curious about, you know, going shallow and feeding up before the spawn, then it, then I kind of understand that. But generally it's so early that I I, I struggle trying to find the green ones. So. We're about four days into uh, practice for, you know, that that MLF event. And, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about catching smallmouth and and probably, you know, you never know because it's practice. But, you know, feeling like I could pretty, pretty confidently catch 15. And if I really cracked them, you know, and got them all in the boat, you know, maybe 18, possibly 19 pounds was was what what my mindset was. Um, But we had. Two more days of practice, and on that Tuesday, it was real windy. Um, majority of the anglers, I'd say 95, maybe even a little more percent, did not go fishing. And I didn't want to go fishing either, but, you know, I've always had the mindset that, you know, unless it's just absolutely horrible and, you know, and borderline dangerous, uh, I've got to be out there because if I can figure out one spot, one bait, more than I currently have in my arsenal, then I'm better than I was. And I'm also one step ahead of my competition. So that was the mindset. I went out there on that Tuesday. And as I'm launching, you know, I'm kind of thinking the morning slash day through. And I said, hey, keep keep the spinning rod in the in the lo- uh, in the locker, pull out some of the bigger sticks and go try and figure out how to catch some green ones, you know, especially with that wind, um, which could have been misleading, but especially with that wind, you know, there's going to be a little more activity going on. I'll so show you where they're at. I, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's what I did. Um, and after, you know, you've been there, you, you know, where the green ones are going to live for the most part. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring them, figuring them out and making them eat. And so started trying a couple different things and all of a sudden catch about a three and a half pounder. And I'm like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And, and the way I caught it was a little bit unique for the bait that I was using at that time. So even though I just caught a fish, a little light bulb went off and I said, okay, you know what? If they ate it like that, then maybe try this. And when I made that switch to the next bait is when, you know, the street lights went on. I, uh, I started catching them, you know, in, in first couple I hit were like four pounders and I'm like, wow. Okay. So 
I covered my hook, started running water that was similar to where I had those those fish, and bite, bite, bite. And I just kept making waypoints. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, I get a little antsy when I don't get to set the hook on a couple. So a couple hours go by, and even though you've got that plastic over your hook. Finally, you know, you're like thinking to yourself, you know, just maybe, maybe they're all small and you set the hook and it's a five and it actually pins it. And you're like, oh, okay, you're on the right ones. Don't stick anymore. And um, that's how practice went. And so the next day I had one more day, not much wind. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's see, you know, if, if this is real, because now that there's not much wind, this is the elements that we'll most likely have for the tournament. Let's go keep researching. And I kept kept running similar water and they were there. They were biting. And I just kept making waypoints. And uh so when day one we got launched, I started running that stuff and uh had them pretty quick, you know. And that first day I had 22 pounds, which Jeez, for me, all largemouth. Uh all largemouth. Yeah, all largemouth. And and I'd had 22 pounds out there before, which was my biggest five in a tournament, uh, which was a prior MLF, but it was in March. And, and as I mentioned, you know, it was spawn slash pre-spawn. And um, so, you know, I was excited, but I hadn't, I hadn't, I think I was still a little short of my, my record out there for best five. And I was excited, dude. I was leading after day one, but in my mind, just wondering, you know, do I have enough? And the cool thing was it happened pretty early in the morning. So I kind of laid off uh, my fish and also, you know, kind of didn't run any of the other stuff that I had marked, which was a good thing because I still had quite a bit and went expanding and trying to find more. Um, and which the other thing was too, Josh, and you, you know, you can attest to this, but when you get bit in an area and you make a mark and you go back there in the tournament and you can really expand on it, all of a sudden, sometimes it can open up a whole new deal. And sure. so, you know, what you thought maybe was holding one or two fish ends up being an area that's, you know, kind of a, an alpha spot. And like, you're like, oh, that's why they're in here, you know, and whether it's grass, whether it's bait, whatever it is, that's kind of a nucleus there to, to keep them there, at least for uh, you know, some some sort of time um, was cool and, and exciting to expand on some of those areas that I found. But, you know, going back to, to that day, I was able to shut it down early, go looking for additional stuff um end of the day you know leading i can't remember by how much but you know exciting and i'd been in that position before uh out there but you know uh was even leading going into day three one time at the az open but but let it slip through my fingers you know um so i was hoping to finally you know get get to the top of the mountain this time and not watch somebody pass me at the at the last you know couple sure. steps yeah yeah so day two comes around <clears throat> go run that uh similar stuff again and a uh, couple of, you know, just super fun bites in the morning. One of them, you know, get bit and swing. And as I swing into it, I'm already telling my co-angler, Net, he looks back. And in my mind, I mean, it just stops. And I'm thinking to myself, because there's a lot of, you know, isolated trees out there and brush as well. I'm thinking, gosh, darn it. You know, I'm in a tree and it goes. And I'm like, oh, gosh, big one, dude. And uh, that one was like a six something. And, uh, and that was. That was my first or second fish of the morning. And I was just, you know, super excited. I'm like, dude, it's, it's on, you know? And then it got a little slow. And as I'm making an adjustment from one area to another, <clears throat> I remember, you know, a real key high spot that holds smallmouth and this time of year will hold largemouth. It's, it's more rock than it is, uh, you know, either toolies or grass. And so I picked up my cool baits 
which, you know, anyone that knows me, I'm a big fan of the cool baits, a little underspin and five pound tests. And I line up, I can see them on, on the uh, active target, see some nice marks and fire out there, coming through, reel into it. And I'm like, good one, dude. Good one. Guys waiting with the net. First fish is a four and a half. And I'm like, awesome, dude. What a, what a great decision. Instead of just running right over to the next spot where you wanted to throw your other bait, you're at least, you know, not only going to put a fish in the well, you're going to put a good one in the well. So hit, hit the, uh, the anchor, sit down, cut the knot off, retie it. Even though it's just one fish, five pound test, you need to make sure you're, you're, you're perfect, you know? And I'm not kidding. I line back up very next cast fire out coming through similar, just feeling everything the same. And all of a sudden boop, I get into it and I'm like giant dude. He's like, no way bigger than the other one. I said, yes. I start chasing this thing and in your mind, just for a split second, you're hoping it's not a catfish line starts rising. You're like, okay, but you don't want to see it, but you do comes up and just wallows big old mouth. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, <clears throat> chase it, chase it, chase it, chase it. Finally co-angler nets it for me. It's a seven, two. And I'm just like, that's tournament winner right there, dude. Yeah, I was I was jacked. And it's still early in the morning, too. So I'm feeling really good that, you know, I think at that point I had either three or four fish in the well, but two giants, uh, another one that's, you know, they're all good fish. Yeah. So, hey, let's and, take a pause in that part of your day because I got a quick question before I forget about yeah, it, dude. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Five pound test on that little underspin, dude. Yep. I, I know you personally go lighter than most people with your tackle. And uh, there's reasons for it, obviously, but like, Dude, what's the significance of going all the way down to five on that bait? Is it because you can keep that thing deeper? Uh, like, why five? And then, like, how light does the rest of your setup have to be? So it's interesting you ask. And, and you know, my theory always has been, Josh, and even, even sometimes guiding locally, you got to get bit before you can get broke off. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times, you know, when if I'm fishing with buddies even that have – the same, same lure, same presentation, same cadence, everything, you're catching just a couple more and you're catching bigger ones, right? So that's kind of my mindset when I was just out there for the AZ Open um, and, we, and the water was a little more dingy. Uh, practice, I was throwing six pound and it, and it you know, seemed to be okay. And six, the difference, as crazy as this might sound to some out there, the difference between six pound and five pound it's a pretty big deal. It is, dude. Uh, I've experienced yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, if if it's real clear, I'm going to stick with with the five. I also think with the cool baits and five pound test, I think it just really frees that bait up, not only to to have the kick with the tail, but also it has an undulation to it that I think it's it's just one more thing that really just triggers those fish. And if you have if you have heavier line, it's going to limit that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's also going to just going to alter the fall, a lot of things. And, you know, I don't have your hundred percent factual information there, but it's, it's worked for me for years. And, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll continue to, to lose a couple along the way to put some in the well, you know, is, is that a leader to braid or are you doing straight five pound all the way? No. So good, good question. I, with the with those lighter baits, whether you're throwing the fly out there, whether you're throwing the cool baits, um, in a, even out there and other lakes, I like to throw the thin Sanko a lot. Um, I run and I had been running a uh, 
an eight to 10 pound braid. Um, and I would alter between different braids. I just recently, as crazy as this is, I came across somebody's YouTube and they were using this stuff called D braid from Sunline. Uh, it's like $39 retail for, yeah, I forget, like maybe 160 yards or maybe less. I just bought crazy. a spool yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it's, it's, it's pink. Uh, Ooh. which I know, I know Josh gets excited about. You like it when you go to your body contact lakes, um, <laughs> to require go, dude. but, but, uh, yeah, long story short, I tried it and that stuff is legit. It is really, really good. Um, you know, there, I used to find that quite often, not quite often, but you know, you, you would get some wind knots with those other braids and I went, God, I don't know how many days without a, a wind knot. And then finally, I, you know, I got one out at, out at uh, Havasu when I was there. But uh, overall, that is by far the, the best braid I've found. It's a nine pound that I, I was using. Um, and then I'll run about a, about a six foot, um, roughly, give or take, uh, five pound um, shooter, I think it is, the Sunline Shooter uh, uh, fluorocarbon. And that's, that's generally my, my setup, uh, for almost every application, um, for spinning, unless, unless I'm throwing something like a skinny dipper that, you know, a little dipper or something that I want to go faster or whatever, uh, then I'm going to use a different braid, maybe a little higher, you know, maybe a 12 or something like that. And I'm going to, I'm going to beef up the leader, but for most of my finesse stuff and so, you know, when I got to get it far from the boat, that's, that's what I'm utilizing. And that stuff's good. You know, the other thing that's, that's really key, I think. And, and Josh was asking kind of the setup. If you're going to run stuff that that is that light, you better have the best rod setup and drag setup for that application because if one of those is not right, you're going to you're going to break off all the time. And so the interesting thing is I I utilize a rod that originally was designed for walleye from Okuma. Um it's called it was originally called the Deadeye series uh and now it's called the Deadeye Pro. And they've made some altercations. They beefed up and, and put some nicer uh, components on that. But the the parabolic on it is just absolutely perfect. You know, it comes way back. And so you got a nice, what I'll refer to as a shock absorber there. But it also, if you need to, you know, you can either grab that spool if you're fe feeling tough or you need, <laughs> to make a you need to make a decision when it's running for something. And you know, it's, if he gets there, he's got you. Or if you can stop them and turn them and get them to come up and, and bring them back, those are those split decision, you know, uh, those split moment decisions you have to make when you're fighting a fish. And that rod is is really good. And then I run a uh, a Helios spinning reel with it. And you did, again, you got to make sure that drag is loose enough with that when they make those real hard runs, they're not going to break you off, but also tight enough when you initially kind of do the reel set to get into them that uh, you get a hook penetrated so you can, you know, keep them pinned. What a cool Makes setup, sense. man. The whole thing's got to go together perfectly, right, Nick? Everything has to Absolutely. be uh, be perfect. And, and even just hearing you talk about retying on every fish, no matter what, you know, I because I've dabbled with it. I am, I'm a crossbreed because I grew up fishing out west, but I fished back east so much that sometimes I feel fairly bubba compared to the guys that, that fish out west more. But compared to the guys that fish back East, I still run on the lighter side sometimes. And there's a, probably a time and a place for everything, but it is shocking, dude, when you try five pound test and uh, you get hung up and you go to break it off. I mean, dude, it breaks instantly, easily. Right. 
And then you go to six and it's like, wow, it takes a little bit more to, to and you just feel yeah. that difference there. But, but even, and if you look at the two lines, the five is significantly thinner. So it's going to, just like Todd said, it's going to make your bait do more. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're in that super small situation or even throwing a jerk bait. A lot of times I've gone to, you know, a lot of people jerk on 10 or 12 pound test and, uh, you know, sometimes going to eight pound test can make a big difference. Um, not in every case, sometimes you don't want that extra foot of depth or that extra action, but sometimes you do. So it's uh, all, did you, did you say what five pound you're using? I apologize. Uh, I again, it's, it's not a sponsor of mine, but, uh, for years I've used a uh, sunline shooter. Okay. I'm cutting that sniper, out. Anyways, sniper, sniper. I think it is. Sniper. Okay. I'm cutting all the sunlight yeah. stuff out anyways. Don't worry. <laughs> North Korea Josh is back. It's good to have you back. <laughs> We're being censored as we speak. That's why I've been so quiet this episode. I'm saving him a lot of work. There you go. There's, a, you. Balloon, there's a balloon over his house right now. Dude, seriously. And a raptor shooting it down. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, yeah. Thanks for elaborating on that, man. And uh, dude, we've already had you for a while. I get a couple other things to touch base on, but talk about that last day real quick. Uh, yeah, how, so do you wrap, four how do you wrap this thing up? Because I know it, it never, it's never easy on the final day in this situation. It just, no matter what, I've seen so many tournaments where a guy goes wire to wire, the last day is always the hardest. What was, first of all, what was your second day final weight? Uh, so I was hoping to just kind of keep pace on that second day. And I actually upped it. I had over 23 pounds on that Ooh. second day. Nice. So what's uh, your lead? Highlight, highlighted by that seven, two, which was big fish of the Derby as well. Um, so I, I had, it was like just shy of seven pounds, uh, lead going, going into that final day. That's unheard of on a Colorado river Lake. I mean, that's like an astronomical lead. Yeah, I was I was pretty darn excited, but also, you know, I had Mike Williams behind me, which anybody that fishes out west, especially Havasu, knows that that guy is the Mike Tyson of that lake, and he could throw a haymaker at any time and knock you out, you know? He could catch 25 on that last day, dude. Literally could. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to, to answer your question and try and, you know, finalize here, uh, you know, that night I'm super excited, you know, but like at the same token – you know, Mike Williams was the guy who ended up beating me two years before when I was going out leading day three in the AZ Open. Um, you know, I didn't get him on day three. He did. And I ended up losing, you know, uh, by a couple ounces or whatever it was. But he won. I didn't. So that's, that's in your mind, too. But when, uh, you know, launch came that morning, I just tried to shut all that down, um, have confidence in what I've been doing, know that knowing that it's been working. Again, that second day didn't really have to lean on them that hard, so I was pretty confident that I still had another day of of fish to to get, and ran my stuff. <clears throat> I had a couple of uh, um, boats that were following me just to watch that didn't make the cut. Uh, I had the MLF uh, photographer boat following me, which I was excited about the photographer boat, but not super excited about the the guys following me, you know, because. It's cool that you got that support, but it's also, you know, basically, you know, it's a tutorial going, okay, here's where I'm fishing and this is what I'm throwing. And you know that, you know, next year it's probably gone, but whatever, that's fishing. Um, so I run to my first spot. First, I'm not kidding. First cast, just dunk, and I, and I miss them. And I'm like, that's all right. You know, I knew, okay, it's on. They're still eating. Even though I missed that fish, I probably should have waited and let it load, but 
even though I missed that fish, it just kind of gave me confidence right out of the gate. Okay, it's on. They're still eating. And long story short, two hours go by with nothing, not a sniff. <laughs> of course. Show, yeah, there's there's no signs of life based on what I've been doing. When I went to bed that night prior, I said to myself, okay, so plan A is go to catch the green ones. Plan B, which was a, a great one going into this event, was your plan A, and that's go catch smallmouth. And so I I told my co, I said, hey, we're going to go try and catch some smallmouth. And I run across to a, to a spot where I, you know, I felt we can get a couple and probably third cast, I catch like a three and a half. And I'm like, I'm so psyched, you know, nerves are off, you know, to some extent got the skunk out of the damn boat. And my mindset at this point is catch 15. He has to catch 22, right? I catch 15. He's got to catch 22. The odds of me catching 15 are pretty good. The odds the odds of, of him, the, the odds of him catching 22 are, you know, can happen, but, you know, based on his track record in that tournament and just the overall weights, that's a, that's a pretty tall task. So the odds were better for me. So a couple minutes go by after me catching that first fish, my co, co yells net and I look back and he's got like a four and a half and I'm like Sweet. stoked, but I'm also like, gosh, darn it. As I go to net this thing, it's got four with it all the same size. So as soon as I put that fish in the boat, I had, you know, I already reeled my rod in before and I set it down. I pick it up and I fire right where they were. And uh, I'm just about to engage and start start reeling in. And he's like, hey, I need water in the well. So I set my rod back down and I go to hit the button to turn it on for him. And something tells me look back. And as I look back, my pole is starting to like bow up and pull. And I'm like, oh, God. And I run back up there, go to reel and try and get a hook set into this thing. And I'm like, dude, big one. And it immediately is shooting to the surface at like 60 miles per hour. Right before it gets to the surface, like two feet, it makes a hard right turn and the bait comes out. <sighs> and so I yell pretty loud. <clears throat> Mind you, those boats are still watching. Photographer boat's still on me. But, but the cool thing was, hey, we know they're there, you know. And so I ended up catching another one, which I was kind of surprised, like a two and a half there. And then we couldn't get any more, so we roll out of there. And uh, but that gave me confidence that you know, my smallmouth stuff—they were—they were eating, you know. So it went kind of slow for a little while, but about noon, uh, light switch went off. They started chewing, and you know, I've got at the time I'm thinking, you know, because I'm I'm not weighing them this this day. I don't have time to, and I'm I'm estimating, you know, in that 13 pound range because I'd way rather small I am than big I am because I don't want to be let down at the scales and i'm kind of hitting my last couple spots before i go in and i'm coming over this one spot and it starts to load up and i'm thinking oh, i'm about to get snagged and what it was is a fish already had gotten it but it, i mean he just woofed it so i never felt anything and as i'm slowly reeling kind of waiting for it to free up from whatever i'm you know whether it's a tree or rock whatever it is i'm waiting for it to free up and it does two big head shakes and i'm like oh god and I reel into the thing and I'm like, dude, giant. And I'm like, and he comes out of the water. It's like a four and a half pound smallie. I'm like, this is it. And he, my co even says, this is it, dude, you get it in game over. Goes back down. He, so after he did that jump and he goes back down, I'm thinking I've got him pinned pretty good. Same thing. He comes flying back up. Freaking he, small goes mouth. In, he goes inverted. He's about a foot from the surface, goes upside down and shoots sideways. And the bait comes out. I don't say a word. My co doesn't say a word. 
I kind of ponder for, you know, a couple minutes and I'm like, well, that's it, dude. You know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. We all know as tournament anglers, when it's your time, it's your time. It's, uh, it's time. Let's go weigh in. And I thought one of those, if not both of those fish was going to be the difference. And once we got back there, we're in the line, you know, the guy that I've got a beats right next to me, Mike Williams, I can see his fish. He's got a pretty good bag. I don't, you know, your mind is racing. You don't know exactly what it is and you don't know where to go with your thoughts. I got to wait for 25 co-anglers to weigh in and then 24 pros. And I can't get these fish on the scale quick enough. And uh, finally, when we get up there, uh, Mike's already weighed in. And then as soon as Alan says, you know, and, and unfortunately, Todd only needs 12 pounds right there. It was just like, let's go, you know. So it was unbelievable. Uh, appreciate you guys letting me share that story with you. And uh, I hope to have more in the future to share with you. You will. Yeah. Everyone was stoked to see you win, dude, because you've really put your time in and, uh, you know, you're, we, you know, you've won a ton of tournaments, dude, but, uh, you know, since going pro, yeah. um, you know, this is your first major win, right? Yeah. Yep. No, it was. And, and, uh, you know, this is kind of corny, but also something that legitimately was in my mind when I surfed professionally, I won four surf competitions, you know, at a pretty high level. Um, as a co-angler, I won four events and here I am now, you know, kind of deep into this thing. I've been fishing from the front now for, I think five, six years. And you're like, dude, am I stuck on four? Like, what's the deal here? And then, so, so to get that one, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be on the other side. And I, I do believe that there'll be, there'll be more to come, you know, oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Now, uh, dude, how do the payouts compare between pro surfing when you were doing it and uh, fishing? Uh, it's actually good. You know, I was, I was surfing so long ago, um, that the payouts were, were really low, um, sponsorships back, back in the day. I actually, you know, I had a lot of sponsors from Japan and I, a lot of my contracts I structured in yen because the yen was so strong back in the day to the dollar. Um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was a good part of my life. Um, but the payouts here, um, for, for, I think it was 20, just under 28,000, uh, check that they gave me. Um, but really the cool thing was in addition to that was the, uh, the incentive slash bonuses, you know, for some of the products, you know, you, you also with, uh, nitro and white, white river, uh, marine or manufacturing, uh, WRM it's, uh, it's cool. Cause they just up their bonuses to eight grand for a win. So I run a Triton and, uh, two days ago I get an eight grand check for, uh, for the win and running a Triton. So that was really cool. Um, Toyota, Toyota bonus bucks, 1500 there for, you know, running my Tundra and then uh, Mercury too, you know, again, all these products that I'm mentioning, you know, not only they're the best, but they support us too. And, and so when you guys are making those purchases out there, you know, Mercury paid me 1500 bucks for, you know, not only running the best outboard, but also just for running their product and representing them out there. So really cool just to see some of the incentive programs that are out there. Um, you know, because there's only so many times we're going to get up there on that podium. And if you do, you want to make sure that you capitalize as much as you can. So, you know, if you're if you're out there listening to this and you're fishing tournaments, just make sure that, you know, you check in to see what the incentives are that are offered out there for each of the different tournaments that you're uh, fishing in uh, and then run those products that are supporting us, because not only is it going to be probably the best products, but it's also pretty awesome when you get these bonus checks in the mail, you know, weeks after. 
Yeah. And guys, these are free to sign up for too. So, uh, you know, all those that Todd mentioned, um, you know, I'm running all the same stuff and uh, free to sign up for. So it's like, it's, it's a no brainer. See if you, if your boat currently is, uh, you know, contingent in the program. And uh, yeah, it's also, if you're, if you're torn, if you're looking at buying a boat in the future and you're not quite sure, you know, you're kind of like, I like this one. I like that one. I like that one. Look at the uh, bonus programs. Cause that could help you uh, in one way or another, but uh that's that's an awesome story dude great to hear um and yeah dude there's no doubt that there's going to be more coming todd just actually and i don't think i mentioned it in the uh intro but he's also coming off the one bass angler of the year title from last year so dude you've been crushing it um you know i think really it's been a big time breakout year for you and uh, it's been cool to see um maybe ask you one more question and let you go but i guess i guess yeah maybe the one one last question that I would have would be like just over these last over these last several years as you've been growing on the pro side what are some lessons that you've taken away that maybe like some uh, is there one or two key things that you've really learned that you maybe didn't think about when you're a fishing co-angler and you realize now are so important as a boater because there are so many people that go through that transition whether they're just starting right as a boater or they are transitioning from co to pro like what took you five or six years to learn that could shorten their learning curve a little bit uh well i think i think the biggest thing transitioning from the back of the boat to the front is your checklist slash preparation list gets a a lot longer Um, there's a lot more things you got to worry about other than putting seven rods in a in a boat and filling your, your locker with your tackle, uh, and then making adjustments on the fly when you show up at wherever you're going, you know, you don't have to decide where you're going, when you're going. And so, you know, the, the transition to the front is just really, it's key decision-making, which it's the same from the back, but just at a different level. Um, when do you put down that bait? When do you move to the next spot? When do you pull off your fish to manage them in a multi-day tournament? Um, but I, I'd have to say in the last year, year and a half where I feel like I have kind of made a little bit of an adjustment and maybe a notch up in my, you know, um, level of of professionalism is just making key decisions and reading the water, reading your electronics. Um, And I think guiding has really helped me in a lot of ways too, because even though I'm not fishing with my clients, you know, I am so in tune with what they're doing and the cadence and their cast and the electronics and seeing how, wow, that fish just did this based on that. Even though I had nothing to do with it, I witnessed it and it went in the data bank going, oh, so they want it sometimes, you know, like this. And it's just, you know, it's the old cliche of time on the water for sure. Um, But it's just understanding and making key decisions. But I think I've, one thing I, I, I was happy to be able to bring from surfing to fishing is just, um, you know, a positive mindset and um, your preparation is, you know, everything, you know, control the, the, the controllables because there is so many uncontrollables and there's, it's the same thing in surfing. You know, we have a very, a very, uh, a varying playing field. One day it's four feet and glassy. The next day it's two feet and onshore. And you have to make those adjustments as you go into the next day of competition. And it's the same thing in fishing. You know, one day it's slick glass and 80 and the next day it's, 20 miles per hour and 40 uh, and the fish are going to react differently. And you have to understand and be one step ahead to know what they're going to be doing to stay on them, you know? And so it's, you know, the mind is a real powerful thing. And 
I think uh, so many guys, you know, tournaments are won or lost between the ears before, you know, before their boat number is even called. That's it's a great point, dude. And just hearing you run through that and, and you know, we know like the, uh, uh, anyone that's done it, we know how many different things there variables there are in a day. Right. And there's no way that you can control them all. So that is the one thing that you can control is your is your mental state. Right. And uh, sometimes it's easier said than done. But that's one of the reasons I really love rooming with you at tournaments dude when we do it because you are a real positive guy and you're real like if something bad happens dude i mean you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, you know ignore that but at the same time you always can find positive things to talk about and focus on and uh, look forward and uh it rubs off it's contagious you know that's you know when i'm on on tour back east uh that's roy hawk man roy is so positive um you know that rubs off on you and it's it's good to be around positive people rather than negative people you know if if you know if you're around someone that's just just complaining about every little thing that happened on the water that day you're not going to be in a good mood either no matter what happened yeah. to you out there that's yeah, why that's, you hang out with nick and i <laughs> get my share of, yeah debbie downer over here rob yeah <laughs> not thanks, nick thanks. Dude, rob it's you dude <laughs> thanks uh thanks for the props on that but yeah that's another thing that's super key and also Something that I've realized, uh, you know, over the last handful of years is, you know, there's a lot of guys, especially more at the level where I'm fishing, not as much where you're at, Josh. But, you know, a lot of these tournaments, you got the guys that are out there that want to no doubt 100% win. And then you've got other guys, it's, it's, it's a bit of a vacation for them. You know, it's an opportunity to sit around a campfire and have some cocktails till 12 in the morning and talk shop and whatever else. And, and, and that's totally cool. And I think it's awesome. Everybody gets something different from these tournaments, but for me, you know, I want to, I want to just stay focused at the end. You know, if I walk away with a, a 50th place, but I gave it 110% and did everything I could, then, then that's the most important thing to me. Um, but a couple other things that you touched on there, and I just want to elaborate a little bit on is, you know, when you hang around guys, it is contagious. And if, if they're all negative, you're going to be negative. If they're all positive, nine times out of 10, you're going to be positive. But the other thing is, too, is just doc talk. You know, you got to learn that, you know, guys will tell you they're on 22 pounds coming into a tournament. When you, in your mind, think it's going to be 15 pounds a day that'll win a tournament, uh, you got to just, you know, alienate yourself from those conversations. Because when Timmy comes in on day one, who was sitting on 22 pounds comes in with nine pounds and he tells you he broke off a five, a six, a seven, an eight. Uh, guess what? That's Timmy's story at every tournament. You got to start to understand that. <laughs> yeah, just, just get it, just get it out of your mind, you know, because that guy has the best stories. Maybe he should have a podcast, but the bottom line is, you know, unfortunately it's just, it's one of those things, you know, and you got to just pay attention to these subtleties throughout tournament fishing. It's all what you want out of it. You know, not everybody, necessarily like i said wants to win if you're going there and you're having fun that's all that matters you know uh last thing we want is guys coming out and not enjoying themselves but just you know pick your friends wisely uh surround yourself with positive people generally you're going to be positive and uh alienate the doc talk because you know if you start hearing guys are catching them on a square bill guys are catching them on a square bill next thing you know things get slow for you and you tie on a square bill guess what they just sent you down <laughs> the wrong road you know so just Go learn the lake yourself, find the, the baits that work, you know, with the, you feel is best. And if you go away with a 50th, it was based on what you put together and not what someone else told you, you know, it's a lot easier to live with after the fact, for sure, man. Uh, ab absolutely. I think That's it's a good. longer road to success that way, but 
greater success in the end. I mean, that's from what I've seen. Great point. Yeah. Yeah, it can't. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. You know, before I go to a tournament, if it's a, especially a fishery I've never been to, I'm even looking at stuff right now because I've never been to the Delta this time of year. And that's where our next tournament is. I'll watch YouTube videos um, and just try and see what was going on, how guys approached it, what colors maybe. And don't get me wrong. Those are some starting points for me as far as how I'm going to approach, you know, a different color. Uh, you know, deep, shallow, whatever it is, it's just starting points. And it starts to at least put some stuff on the board before you get there. Once you get there, water clarity is totally different than what that video was. Water temperature is totally different, whatever it is. But at least it gives you starting points to build upon, you know, because you only have so much time there. For sure. For sure. I like it. I totally agree, man. Um. Well, cool, dude. Uh, it's been awesome talking. It's been a great interview. Uh, do you guys have anything else before we let Todd roll? No, just how do how do people reach you if they want to get a guide trip in Southern California? I appreciate that. Uh, so you you guys can reach me at toddkleinfishing.com is my website, and then uh, also you know through my social media at Todd O'Krine. That's T O D D O K R I N E on Instagram, and uh, I usually try and. You know, especially when we're full speed in the uh, uh, guide season, I'll post a lot of my clients. And if you start to see a lot of big fish going up in the in the images, then then you know it's time to uh, to make a call. And that's that's literally right around the corner. It would already be right now, but we're a little bit behind with all these storms we've been having. And uh, it'll be full speed. You know, especially this is gonna be an exciting year because the water is so high. Uh, they're gonna be right up in that structure. It'll be it'll be fun fishing. He's one of the only guides that guarantees fish, right? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I bought my insurance through you, Josh. So if they don't catch fish, you know, <laughs> you, you got go. my backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right on. Uh, well, cool. Uh, thanks again so much, dude. Great chatting. Uh, we'll chat with you again soon. And uh, yeah, man, good luck with uh, this next event. That Delta is going to be a tricky one as cold as it is, but we'll be watching and uh, go tear them up, man. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, more importantly, Mr. Bertrand, go win Redcrest, would you? I would take that in a heartbeat, dude. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm bailing out of here tomorrow. So yeah, by the time that'll, I get this thing, oh, go ahead. That'll, that'll have all the fans coming over to our room at this year's U.S. Open. And it's already going to be crazy. We'll probably need security because you won last year, but you win Redcrest too. Dude, we'll have to have security. <laughs> Todd and I had a room stacked full of big cardboard checks at the last Open. I had the first place and he had the AOI and uh, we were going to party and then I ended up getting food poisoning. So uh Hopefully we can uh, we can hold it together a little bit better this year and uh, make that happen again in some way or form. <laughs> I'd like to have some cardboard. <laughs> no doubt. All right, guys. Well, uh, yep. Uh, Todd, thanks so much, dude. We'll uh, we'll let you hop off, dude. Have have a great day. Yep. You guys too. Thanks for having me. See Appreciate ya. you. See ya. Thank you. Good luck, Josh. Thanks.